night, I, I asked some real men to, uh, to join us, to join me up here, so that we can talk about things pertaining to masculinity and uh, godly manliness. So if you could please welcome John Eckert. Hey, Eric Royals. And Jonathan Robert. He's, he's probably in the green room. Oh, you didn't, you didn't plug both in, right? You just plugged the one in? Just one. That's all you need. Cool. All right. Hallelujah. Cool. You just pl- plug the the one. Don't don't switch them. Just yeah. There it is. Hey hey. Cool. All right. There it is. Um, so we we wanted to set the the stage, kind of like a <laughs> like like a man cave. Here you go, John. You go, Eric. There's a. See ya. There's mine. Um, I, I, it's definitely just just water in there. Um, I can prove it to you. I could I could uh, have Eric drink it because he can't actually handle any liquor. So um, you'd know right away if it was liquor. Um, so yeah, we're. Uh, we're rediscovering the heart of man tonight. Um, and I, I sat down with a bunch of our guys and just talked about what they would love to see in a men's ministry. And I heard from them things like they wanted to have a place where they could bond with brothers and it would be a brotherhood where they could ha- we, we could share experiences, that there would be camaraderie, accountability, and that there would be a level of commitment to one another. Uh, that we would have a place that's kind of like a, a refuge or a sanctuary uh, where we could blow off steam, get away, and recharge. Uh, we wanted a place where we could have like mentoring and and uh, we could hear from wise old sages like John Eckert, and he's not old. Um, and we wanted to be challenged. We wanted, we wanted to be called higher. I think that a lot of times men get bored in, where we're at in, in church because we're not necessarily being challenged. We're not being called. We're not being put in places where we're, we're tested. And... Um, and so we've wanted for a while to launch a, a men's ministry here where it would be a place where it would really serve guys. It's not something where men have to come, or not have to come, but they, they get to come, that they look forward to coming. And it's not something that takes from the guys in the church, but it's something that gives. And um, so we talked about things like rites of passage and wilderness adventures, and taking big trips together. Um, and we talked about how we can help each other avoid disaster by learning from each other's mistakes. And so we also talked about, I don't know, 10 different names over the course of a month. And what we ended up loving the most was Deuteronomy. And in case you didn't know how to pronounce it, there it is. Dude. Er, uh, no, me. And it's, uh, it's funny in several ways. But this is the scientific study of dudes, bros, and their exploits in the environment which they dominate. And uh, <clears throat> obviously dude means awesome man. And no me is a proper suffix that means a system of rules or laws or a body of knowledge of a particular subject. And so this is 
a system of rules, laws, and knowledge of dudes. And it's funny because it's a book of the Bible. Isn't that great? So it fits right into church. Um, can, you, can you kill the, the lights that are right on stage, the cans, the, the ones closest to the back wall? Thank you. I think that there's no better way to start off our first man night than to show a clip of the most manly movie in all of history. Now, they use two words in here that you will actually find in the King James Bible, but you might not hear most modern churches preach using these words. Just a warning. Deuteronomy. Someone muted Acoustic Channel 2. Could you run back there and unmute it? See the Acoustic Channel 2? So we had a sound guy that called in tonight. Yeah, crank it. Slide that slider up. so they could own more lands that I have to work for them. Or me. All right, lads. I'm not dying for these boots. Let's go home. Don't y'all love William Wallace? Not tall enough. says this must be a fashionable fight. It's drawn the finest people. Where is thy salute? For presenting yourselves on this battlefield. I give you thanks. This is our army. To join it, you give homage. I give homage to Scotland. And if this is your army, why does it go? We didn't come here to fight for them. <laughs> is seven feet tall. Yes, I've heard. Kills men by the hundred. And if he were here, he'd consume the English with fireballs from his eyes and bolts of lightning from his eyes. <laughs> I am William Wallace. And I see 
a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men. And free men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Right? Against that? No! We will run! And we will live. Aye. Fight and you may die. Run and you'll live. At least a while. I'm dying in your beds. Many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! Isn't that good? It's just something about that movie just awakens the, uh, the heart of a man. He just displayed so much confidence uh, in front of all those guys. And, and I, something that stood out to me recently when I watched that clip is that his fearlessness was infectious. His fearlessness was, was contagious. And, um, and that's part of what I believe is um, being a man, and if I can be completely vulnerable with you guys, I'm, I was a little bit nervous about doing this, uh, doing this series. You know, I'm 33 years old, and, uh, you know, there have been plenty of insecurities that I've, I've dealt with in, in the realm of, you know, masculinity. I've never been the most broad-shouldered, big jawbone, you know, hairy man on the planet. <clears throat> Um, in fact, I was one of the smallest kids in my school until like the seventh grade when finally someone smaller moved into town. <laughs> I don't think that I hit puberty until junior year in high school. Uh, I actually remember sophomore year or maybe his freshman year. All, all my friends who were girls were talking about how it was so awesome, all the dudes' voices changed, and I was like, yeah, that's real cool. <laughs> and this is um, another reason why I was, I was nervous about doing this, is it, it's, a, um, it's an issue that's so close to our heart, and it, it carries with it wounds uh, that, that go, you know, all the way back to childhood and, and wounds that are associated with how we were brought up, what kind of father we had. And, um, and so I wanted to do this in, in a way that's as, I want to be as considerate and thoughtful and tender, but yet as truthful and forceful as uh, the Holy Spirit leads. And so we're going to start off with defining what is a man? <laughs> and here's what, um, I, I combined what Webster and Oxford and a couple other dictionaries said and, and, and put it into one sentence, and this is what I came up with. A human bearing the masculine traits and physiological organs of the male gender. Now, um, we know uh, we've got the organs part down. We understand what that means. Although um, it seems as if most of the world is falling into confusion in this area. Um, but anyway, I don't see... It's crazy that I have to go on record and say this, but God assigned your gender in the womb, and it was very evident by the sexual organs that you were born with. And there's, there's, not, a, there's not a going back and forth. There's not a swapping. All, all confusion in this area is demonic. And so, um, there you go. 
All right, but so what are masculine traits, though? Um, this is, this is what, I, what I want to talk about to begin with, because there's, our society gives us so many different answers to this question, so does it mean that you need muscles and a mustache? <laughs> or should you take it further and have a beard that holds your beer? <clears throat> it's just water, I promise. Are you less masculine if you prefer flowers in your beard? <laughs> so seriously, what, what is masculinity? Do you need mojo? Virility? Do you need to be irresistible to women like Austin? <laughs> Or is it defined through feats of strength? Should you be able to dry squat a 10-foot great white shark and display the confidence it takes to do it while wearing a Speedo? What about aggression? Do you need to be that kind of guy that knows how to defend his town with a machine gun? Or is it as simple as owning the biggest truck in the neighborhood? <laughs> this, is, this is where I wanted to invite in some of our other guys to, to, to weigh in on this topic right here. Um, Eric, do, do you want to start us off? Can I ask you first? Okay. Yes. I, I sent them a few questions just so they could be somewhat prepared. Um, Eric, are there moments in your life when peers affected your perception of your own masculinity, good or bad? Yes. Can Can you name a few for us? Check. It's just down it's real on. low. Okay. Thank you, Mason. Thank you, Mason. Um, okay. So, like, every boy, young man that goes through school, mm -hmm. you know, you're in middle school or high school, and that's when, that's probably when I would say... Just keep talking. I'm going to take a picture with that in the background. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, I think that's probably a pretty common part of life where peers start to have a big effect on you. Um, middle school, right? Middle school and definitely high school. Mm -hmm. There's just, you know, um, you're obviously starting to mature. Uh, guys are starting to be interested in girls and vice versa, you know, different points throughout those middle school, high school years. Um, and everybody a lot of people start to be focused on who's the cool guy, who's not the cool guy, mm -hmm. trying to fit in. Um, I, think you, I think you establish a lot of identity in school. Um, so anyway, uh, for me, I played a lot of sports, um, and so there's obviously lots of uh, experiences in sports, especially w when, you know, a lot of sports, football, for example, is just about who's the biggest and the strongest and who can squash that guy the best. And mm -hmm. um, so there's those obvious examples. Um, I'm really thankful that when I was in, um, when I was in high school, I kind of found this group of guys um, who seemed to kind of have a similar perspective as me. Um, my, my dad told me lots of times while I was growing up, you know, don't let yourself get caught up or concerned too much about what other people think about you, um, kind of as it relates to trying to fit in or trying to get their approval. Um, rather, you know, go through each day doing what you know is right. Um, and, and, you know. So he, he instilled, like, strength of character yeah. above looking cool. Yeah, 
Um, it's a good dad. Yeah. And I found these other guys that we ended up becoming really good friends, and they kind of had the same outlook. And there was lots of times I can think back, whether it's, you know, in the cafeteria when everybody's, you know, that's a prime time for, for people's uh, egos to start flaring and stuff, you know, when everybody's around the entire class or on the sports field or whatever. But there were, I can think of so many times where me and these two, two other guys, uh, well, without sounding... Uh, like full of myself, I feel like we were a little ahead of the curve at that point in terms of not getting sucked into all of the hoopla and junk that people do to assert themselves as I'm um, the guy you want to hang out with kind of thing. But so you had more confidence. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with, um, yeah, we had confidence in who we were. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of a mutual thing. And, um, you know, we weren't trying to impress each other or prove anything to each other. We just enjoy each other's company, and there are plenty of times where you know we'd see so and so doing something just stupid in school or wherever. It's just like, man, I'm glad we don't do that. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. Awesome. So were there ever any moments that you can think of where either your friends were cutting another guy down or someone was cutting you down? Did you ever get called wuss? Yeah. You got you got called wuss? I think so. <laughs> I mean, when I was a freshman on the baseball team and uh you're out on the baseball field with seniors and you're trying to you're trying to kind of become friends with them and and you kind of have that element of oh, I want to be a good baseball player in front of these guys and and be cool, you know, but a lot of them what was uh skip the baseball part. In soccer, I I had I had a larger derriere than then than I do now, and uh, I had a nickname associated with that. It actually looks like you could, you could squat a. Uh, I used wike. to squat more weight than a lot of other guys. Nice. Um, but yeah, I had some choice nicknames on the team, but I had more leg power, so they stayed away from me. Are there any nicknames that are church safe? No. <laughs> <clears throat> Thank you, Eric. Now, John, you, uh, you know, you grew up on a, on a farm, and so you could pretty much chew up metal and spit out bullets. That's what I heard. And, uh, you, I mean, you, you, you knew how to, like, work a farm and stuff, but did you have any moments growing up where um, your perception of your masculinity was affected by peers? Or even... Uh, Elders, you know, father figures. Well, my brother was five years older, and he could beat the soup out of me anytime he wanted to. And That's did the worst. regularly. <laughs> so um, I guess so. You know, we were tough little kids, so, you know, there were a lot of times when, you know, we physically had fistfights with one another uh, with my classmates and stuff. In fact, pretty much all of us got into it one time or another. I think... Um, I had a turning point when I was maybe second grade or third grade. There was, there was a kid that had failed so many times, he was clearly looked like an adult uh, in grade school. And he was this big bully guy. And um, I think one of the defining moments that kind of helped me get over the, the um, you know, getting beat up or, you know, just people started thinking I was tough, you know, as um, Alvin uh, Alvy Hall was his name, and he would he would pack these ice snowballs, and then you'd run around behind you know a tree or something, and he'd come up behind you, and point blank just nail you in the side of the head with that thing, and just take you down. You know, you just and he was huge. He was a big guy, and so he did that to one of my friends, and I stuck a a big. I'm not proud of this. Don't do this. I put a I put a piece of gravel in a snowball one of those big gravels this big and packed it and I stood behind the gym and finally he ran around there and I swung as hard as I could and hit him at point blank in the side of the temple and I dropped him he just went bam and I'm like I killed him you know <laughs> and blood is running out of his ear and I'm like I really thought I had killed Alvy Hall you know and um so anyway, they picked him up, and we got him inside and, of course, called the officials, the principal. It's the meanest guy on the planet. 
And, um, and it didn't kill him, but it did establish some respect. And that was bad, but at the same time, they're like, hey, Eckert's a bad A, you know? And, <laughs> and so, I mean, it, it kind of helped, because I did get into fights, still got into some fights, but, um, you know, I had a little bit more respect. So, is that what you're looking for? That's a great answer. <laughs> Jesus, protect my son <laughs> as he grows. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I wanted to weigh in on this. I, for some reason, when I, when I was thinking about this, oh, about the father moments? Oh, okay. Um, when, I, when I was 16, uh, I, ha- I, got, I had my license, and I had my grandfather uh, in the vehicle with me for some reason. I don't remember what we were doing, but he was riding shotgun, and I was driving. And we were going through my little town. I grew up in like a one-stoplight town, and it was amazing when McDonald's finally showed up. And, um, but I was, I was driving through town just like I would normally drive, you know, 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. And, and I took a corner the way I would normally take a corner. And my grandpa got so mad. He, he grabbed the wheel and and looked at me and said, drive like a man. (laughs) Why don't you drive like a man? And I thought I was driving like a man, fast, reckless, and awesome. And, <laughs> and I guess what he was trying to tell me is to drive like a man, you'd be respectful of the law. And so that stuck with me as a moment that defined masculinity for me. How about you, Eric? Did you want to go he's he's going to skip this one. He can, he can think of a time because he was always masculine. <laughs> That's awesome, John. <laughs> so... I, I had something in particular. This this is getting in the way. There we go. We could duke it out up here. <laughs> this is just when we say something awesome. Aren't we you left handed? We fist bump, yeah. I'm right handed. Uh, yeah. Oh. This could be a completely different kind of gathering. <laughs> Signs, wonders, and healings will follow. <laughs> um, okay, so when I was in the youth group uh, in the church that we went to, uh, we'd go on retreats and camps and stuff during the summer in particular. Um, and I remember this one retreat. Um, it was the first legit summer camp kind of thing that we did out in the woods. And it was a big retreat center. And all the guys camped on one far end of the camp. And all the girls camped on the opposite end of the camp. And then there was a, a, a middle area where we would all get together to do group stuff. And... Um, so anyway, like, while all the guys are on their end of the camp, um, that would either be uh, when it was you're going to bed that night or after some activities, the showers were also separated on either side. And so all the guys, you know, middle school boys again, high school boys, everybody's running around trying not to let each other see each other kind of thing. And everybody was just, you know, goofing around. And I'm not going to tell an inappropriate story about the shower. Don't worry. Um, Thank but, you. Yeah. Um, so there was this guy who was a chaperone. Um, he was a father of these two girls. And um, I think they were probably a few years younger than me. And he was one of the coolest guys walking the earth. Uh, he still is, I think. Um, and he's he's like an ex-Green Beret in the military. And he... Uh, He's an avid hunter and outdoorsman and fisherman, and he's got heads of all kinds of things hanging around inside his house. And um, he was a really quiet guy, though, and that was something I remember about him. Um, And he was there as a chaperone, and all of us younger guys are running around just being idiots a lot of the time and running our mouths and saying stuff and trying to be cool. And a lot of the time, he would just stand there with this quiet resolve listening to us and he'd wait for like the perfect opportunity to to ask us this question he would never he would never just outright uh point out like you're you're you shouldn't be doing that or you're being well he would do that he would do that yeah but he wouldn't embarrass you in front of everybody instead he would ask you this question and it would get you thinking and you'd realize all by yourself just how immature you were being or um you know in a in a moment how uh you just need to grow up a little bit and 
Um, that's one of the, I remember reading somewhere like more recently something cool about how uh, some of the some of the most impactful men in history were quiet men, and then when they spoke, they said something that was really worth listening to. A lot of the time, they didn't just run their mouths, and because um, even a fool looks like a wise man if he keeps his mouth quiet. Proverbs, son. Yeah. So anyway, um, he impacted us a lot like that. And so back to the part where all the boys are running around trying not to let the other guys see each other uh, while you're about to go shower and stuff. I remember, so this Green Beret guy, the guys are separated on one end, the girls are separated on the other end. I remember one time I was like on my way to the shower and all the cabins were like these little bungalow things where you couldn't really see everything in your side of the woods, but you knew there was a group over there and a group over here. And so this guy, he's like a 40-something-year-old dude. He always wore his dog tag still, but he's on his way to the showers, and he just comes around the corner of the woods, and he is butt naked, <laughs> traipsing through the woods on his way to the showers, and all the boys were like, oh, my gosh. And... uh Unfortunately, I can't forget what that looked like, <laughs> but at the same time, it was just like an example of like, I don't care what anybody thinks. Confidence. I'm a man, and I'm going to walk through the woods naked to go take a shower. Yeah. And uh, He was born naked. He walks through the woods naked. He's going to die naked. Yeah. <laughs> How do you follow that up? Jonathan Robert, I'm going to pose to you a slightly different question. Um, you know, the, the slides leading up to this moment, I was, I was showing, you know, external uh, traits that play, uh, that people think play a role in, in masculinity. But do you think that, um, do you think that's true? Do you think that external traits or hobbies play a part in defining masculinity? Um, and if so, are there, are there hobbies or activities that you do that make you feel particularly manly? In like a like a restore your soul kind of a way. Well, um, <clears throat> I thought long and hard on this question. He sent us these questions earlier, so I was able to think on this one. Um, you know, chopping wood is masculine, but um, so is playing football. But I don't I don't think that defines masculinity. But those I'm, are things you like to but, do. Well, not personally. Okay. But. What, wait, what was the question? <laughs> no, no, you're, you're on the right trail. I mean, oh, okay. you're answering the first part of the question just fine. First part of the question. Um, so those are some things that look masculine, I guess. But mm -hmm. um, Are there things that you like to do that you feel like restores your soul or brings you back uh, to a place okay. of, like, manhood? I, I, enjoy, um, I enjoy getting onto nature. That really recharges me. Mm -hmm. um, Anything to do with the woods or, or even the ocean or um, even wildlife. Um, I just love God's creation, sunrises, moon. Um, so those kinds of things, that recharges me as a man. Um, I feel um, closer to God in those situations. And so, um, so those are, those are some, some things. Um, what else? Building something. There you I go. I think uh, as men, we love to have a sense of accomplishment and, and get a task and, and at hand and, and get our hands dirty and, and do some manual labor. Um, no pun intended there. But, I mean, anyway, that was, that was cheesy. That was good, man. Um, John, let's pass the mic this way. About manliness. Yeah, just are, are, are there things that you like to do that kind of restore your, your man soul? Well, I, I agree with Jonathan. I, I love to get in nature. And, um, I mean, it's just, uh, I, I never get in nature without getting surprised by the Lord. Like, I was thinking about uh, one of the experiences. I just told a guy about it last night, really. You know, you're out there by myself. Uh, I love to ride a tractor and just mow. I'll just get on a tractor, get on some kind of equipment. And, you know, I grew up on a farm, so I did that a lot. And you just literally go in your man cave in your mind. You're thinking about nothing and just 
uh, one morning, and we're at, we're at the ranch, and um, I got out there early. I was going to mow this big field with the, with the tractor. And um, the, all of the, the steam was coming off of the, of the uh, lake there, you know, and just going into the air, and it was just the air was so crisp and clean, and just it was awesome, just beautiful. Sun coming up, the sky was just right, and I'm mowing. And I'm uh, knocking down this, you know, this beautiful green field. And about then, I was just thanking the Lord. I'm just like, this is just so good. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not worried about the deal I'm working or anything. I'm just, I'm just out there with the Lord. And about that time, this huge hawk just came down. And in his talons, he picked up this big rat and just flew off with it right in front of me. That is I was awesome. Like, that was amazing. I was just like, yes, Lord. It was so cool to watch that. I love those moments where it feels like God orchestrated nature for a moment just for you. It was like five feet in front of my tractor. It was just mm-hmm. awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, I had a, I, was, I remember this one morning where I was awakened by a, a dream from the Lord. And I, I happened to be on a trip and, um, and I was out in the, you know, out in the, in the boonies and so I could walk out of this cabin I was staying in, and it was wooded, and there's a there's a field next to the woods, and the sun hadn't come up yet. And so I went out there, and I was sitting on a bench, and um, and I just opened my Bible to um, Ecclesiastes, and I was reading through it, and it was talking about enjoying your youth. Um, and I got to this verse, and it said, "It pleases the eyes to see the sun." And right then, as the first peak of sun comes through the, the trees and hits me, dead in the eyes. And I just, I, I got filled with the Holy Spirit, just sitting there on a bench in nature. I read, it pleases the eyes to see the sun. And in that moment, I saw the sun. And it went on to say, you know, enjoy the days of your youth while you have them. And, um, yeah, that was, that was a, a nature moment for me that restored my, my man's soul. I'll follow as uh, as a young man. Um, we lived on on a farm, so we worked all the time. That's what you do. Anybody else raised on a farm? Yeah, several. You know what I'm talking about. So I mean, everybody works. You get in there. You've got crops. You've got livestock. You've got all this stuff to do. So um, you know, it's it's a very different life, really, than you know what we do now. You know, playing games or watching TV all the time. I think. Um, I mean, I started working at two years old. I could milk a cow, and that's not that's not an exaggeration. I literally milked my first cow at two years old. Now that is no one can believe that. I mean, it's like my grandbaby's age. It's hard to believe that. But at six years old, I could back a tractor. I could drive a tractor or back one. My dad would lay off the first furrow, and he'd say, "Keep that wheel in the furrow, and come to the house when you run out of gas." And that's the way it worked. And I did find his beech nut chewing tobacco too and spit on the tire wheel as it went around but um but that's man stuff you know so so i got a I got a taste of that you know that nature being out in nature um so and i still i'll tell tracy i mean i gotta go to the ranch she's like i understand yeah you really do need to go to the ranch john but I, i wanted to tell a story about one of the things i enjoy so much about nature is being in nature with my kids and uh i just i'll tell you one one very special moment, I'll just share it with you. It meant so much to me, but uh, when Samuel was nine years old, um, I, was start, I was, had already been taking him to the woods for a few years, and he, first he started on just carrying a slingshot, and he'd go out and we'd let him shoot the slingshot and when he's about six or something, and then we gave him BB gun and then pellet gun. But he's nine years old now. He's a full-grown man. And uh, so... Uh, a friend of ours had invited us deer hunting, and uh, so we he set us up, and we got out there before dark, and it was so beautiful. This morning, it was cold. It was real cold, but uh, we're in a double stand, and and if you know what a deer stand is, this is a tree stand where it's, it's, it's a double, so you've got a room for me and my son both. Got a little deal that comes down, and it just you just crawl up a ladder, and you're up on the side of this tree, and the deer, you know, could... If you're lucky, the deer will walk out in the field and you get a shot. And um, so we're out there before dark. It's it's just dead silence. And suddenly this little red uh, cardinal starts making noise. And it sounds like an elephant at that, you know, if you've been in the woods, 
you know, in the middle of the night, and then the, the woods awaken, and we could hear birds, and the armadillos scurry across, and a raccoon runs by, and it was just one of those moments. And uh, Samuel, he was cold, and he finally just um, just kind of curled up and went to sleep right beside me. So I got this little warm guy there next to me, keeping me warm, and, and um, we had told him the night before, you know, if a deer comes out, what I want you to do is just put the crosshairs right behind his shoulder and, and squeeze the trigger, don't jerk the trigger, and shoot a deer. Okay, Dad. So um, anyway, we're waking there. The sun starts to come out. You know, I'm just sitting there not expecting much, and this big buck just walks right out in this green alfalfa field. I'm like, Samuel, Samuel. What is it, Dad? Oh, wow. This deer falls right in this spot. It's just this beautiful buck just goes bam. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you hit it. <laughs> you know. But it was one of those moments, you know, being in nature, just out there harvesting a big buck, you know, uh, for people to eat. And it was just incredible. I mean, I get recharged with that stuff. That's wild at heart for me. Yeah. That's an awesome story. I remember when that happened. Samuel came home so proud, and you were very, very proud. <clears throat> it warmed my heart. Um, you want to weigh in on this, Eric? You got some, some stuff that you like to do that restores your, your man soul? Yeah. Um, I love um, spending time with my daughters. Yeah. And um, I love watching them just come to life when uh you know okay so i've got elena is three years old ava is one or one and a half uh olivia is due in two weeks and so you know they're still really young and um you know with a three-year-old there's still so many things that are ahead of her and every day she she accomplishes something new that she hasn't done before where she's been working at something and she finally succeeds or you know, um, so that really restores my mm-hmm. my soul, just being her daddy. Um, and I think that, I mean, whether whether a, a guy actually has children or not, I think that kind of ties into um, just like this thing inside all men to 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 be leaders of some kind, um, to have people whether it's your children or whether it's just other people you know to kind of pour into and to lead and to, um, to kind of bring up into something. Yeah. So um, there's that. I like, so like chopping wood. Yeah, that's like legacy. That's a yes. huge part of the heart of man, leaving yes. a legacy and training up your child in the way that she should walk. Yeah. I do like chopping wood. Amen, brother. Amen. I got to take a huge tree down in my backyard last it's year. It's so fun to watch a tree fall. There's something so therapeutic about it. It is the best. It is kind of crazy when you're out on a branch that's big enough to support a grown man, and you're, and you're sawing at it and stuff, <laughs> and you feel the whole thing start to go. <laughs> and you <laughs> <laughs> That might not be the way you're supposed to do it. <laughs> well... You had to be there. <laughs> John, John wants to weigh in. I just wanted to ask you if you've ever ridden a tree down. Oh. Hold up. Oh, you've got you a story? Had? No, I meant just at, when we chopped. We had nothing to do. We were out in the middle of nowhere, so we had to make our own game. So, <laughs> so we get up in this big tree with lots of limbs on it and all that and get close to the the trunk of the tree and then uh the other kids would go after it with the axes until it got ready and that would fall and you ride it down it was awesome <laughs> that is really awesome john all right are you guys ready to hear some of the things that restore my soul as a man i grew up loving um poetry i love i love music i love drawing I grew up in a, it was, it was a kind of a country town, and most of my family, they were, they're just salt of the earth. I had, I think we, I think I had like 30 to 40 cousins in the same town that I grew up in. Four sets of aunts and uncles, my grandma and grandpa on one side, my grandma and grandpa on the other side. I mean, it was, it was like the shuck town. And they were all like 
farmers or uh, handymen or um, they, they built homes. You know, they were carpenters. They were uh, volunteer firefighters. And, um, and we would, you know, do our family get-togethers. We got together probably almost like every month, for, you know, to celebrate the birthdays of that month. It was a great way to grow up. And then there I was. I loved to, you know, write poetic songs on my guitar and dye my hair blue. <laughs> and it was just who I was, it, it, and, it, and it's who I am still. It's, it's what, I, what I love to do, and, um, and I, still, I still love sports. I had, I had a moment one time in the church softball team. Um, I was always uh, coordinated and athletic, and I was a starter on the sports teams, even though I was small, and so thank God for that. Um, because that, that really helped, you know, bring a lot of confidence into my life. But um, on the church softball team, we were in a big, uh, like, citywide tournament. And, like, all the church, I mean, the Baptists were there. The Methodists were there. The Presbyterians were there. The, uh, the Wesleyans were there. All the church softball team showed up. And, and um, we were down. It was near the end of the game. It wasn't the last inning yet. But we were down by three. And... I was up to bat, and we had, hey, son, I love you. I love you. That's my boy. He uh, is so manly that he escaped the locks back there. <laughs> he, is, he is a genius. Um, seriously, he, um, we, had, we realized early on that the safest thing for our house was to reverse the locks on his door to lock him in. We <laughs> did that too. During nap time. Yeah, yeah, come on now. <clears throat> yeah, that would have been a good boxing glove bump time. Um, anyway, we, so we reversed the locks, and he figured out how to pick the locks at age two age two. He ripped down a, a hanging light that was in his room, pulled the metal wires out of it, and used that to pick the lock. Age two. And then he milked a cow. <laughs> <laughs> so there we were. It was, I think it was, it was close to the last inning. We were down by three. I'm up to bat, and I've got three guys on base. I'm the scrawniest kid on the team, even though I'm coordinated, I cannot hit the softball very far, as far as the rest of the guys are big burly men. And so the opposing team knew that too, and to taunt me, you know, it's, it's mind games when you're playing sports. The dudes, it doesn't matter if it's church, it's all mind games. And so the, uh, the outfielders would walk in, you know, they would kind of come closer and closer because they knew that I couldn't hit the ball as far. So anyway... Yeah, yeah, come on in, guys. We got noodle arms up to bat. <clears throat> and uh, so anyway, it's the, it's the slow pitch underhand, and there it is. And I swing as hard as I can and, like, connect. And I, I, I didn't know that I hit it really well until I looked over at my, uh, the dugout and all the dudes on my, in my church softball team, they stood up. It's like slow motion. I throw the bat and start running, and it sails over. I know it sails, sails over their heads in the outfield, and I, I run all the bases and bring in four runs, and we're up by one, and we won because of that. That was a, that was a great man moment. I think I was fourteen or fifteen. Um. This, this is a perfect question for John. John, how do you... Well, we'll bring it back to Robert, but I want you to answer this first. Um, how do you feel about relating to Jesus as your husband and the lover of your soul? It's difficult for me, honestly. Just, I mean, just be totally honest. Me too. I don't see the... I mean, I do... I want you to understand just that that husband thing, I mean, I just, it just, it's hard for me, but it's not hard at all for me to have intimacy. And um, so, in fact, it's my uh, most important and most, it's, it's my most favorite thing to do, is to feel that connection with God, like, you know, really 
from spirit to spirit. Um, but as far as, you know, say, you know, Jesus is your husband type deal. You know, I mean, it's just, I guess those pathways are already. Me. You remember that song? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the pathways have already been established for me that it's, you know, it's male and female and all that. I mean, it's just, it's just hard for, you know. A, a man of the sage, is that what you said, mm -hmm. is uh, hard for a sage old character like me to, uh, to get that, young Jeremy. Yeah, here, the, the older I get, here you go, pass that to John. The older I get, the, uh, the more I've, I've come to recognize Jesus as my big brother. He's my big bro. Uh, what do you think, John? Yeah, do, do you I, like I to agree with that. Do you like to <clears throat> sing about him marrying you? No, I don't. No. No, I, I agree with that. Um, the first time I heard um, about Jesus being our brother, um, I grew up um, as sons of God, and so I never was taught that Jesus is our brother. He's our friend, but he's our Lord and Savior. And so it was this, you know, he's he's up there, and we're down here, and we're not real, I don't want to say equal to him because we're not, but in a sense, like he... He came as flesh and blood, and he was God's only son. And so we're all sons and daughters of God. So what does that make Jesus to us? And so the first time I heard that was Brad McClendon. He, he goes, don't you know that Jesus is your brother? And I was like, huh, I never, never thought of it that way. So I think that helped me because I grew mm -hmm. up with the whole Jesus is going to marry us. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, this is weird. <laughs> It's going to be a real weird worship session. Yeah, it's going to be a weird walk. Um, so I like to to think of it that way, like Jeremy said. Um, yeah. He's our he's our brother and our friend, and um, it kind of helps my relationship with him even more. I think, um, mm -hmm. just as a as a dude relating to Jesus. Um, yeah. You got something for us on this topic? Yeah. All right, bring it. Um. I was thinking about this. Jeremy told us to think about this. And um, so let me preface it with um, before I had any children, before my wife and I had any children, um, I kind of had difficult time really relating to God as my father. I mean, I've got my father in life. And... Um, but having that type of connection and, and you know, feeling, um, just feeling like a, a son and I, can, and I can come to him for anything the way that I hope my children feel like they can come to me now. So before I had children, I didn't quite grasp that. And so having children and, and understanding the love I have for them, experiencing the love I have for them um, has opened my eyes to understand the way God loves us as our father. And so just profound experiences where it's like, oh my gosh, if this is how much I love my kid, then, you know, God loves us all the more. Yeah. There have so, been countless times when just being a dad in dad moments, even if they're rough moments, has totally revealed the heart of God to me in a, in a moment where it was, it was really difficult with, you know, a child screaming or something or whatever. And, yeah. and then the Lord says, that's the way I am with you. And you're like, oh, you're right. You're so good. <laughs> yeah. And so I was thinking about this question, how do I, what do I think about relating to Jesus as my husband or the love of my soul? And much like John and John have said, um, it's a difficult thing to relate to for me. Um, I think immediately as a guy, you know, I hear the description of Jesus as my husband and I think of the great wedding when he returns and that kind of stuff and the lover of my soul and you know I'm not like oh mushy mushy kind of stuff but then I'm thinking okay well how do I relate to my wife and I was thinking about you know aspects of the way I love my wife and mm. part of that is just like I am I would I would kill for her kind of thing and now don't take that the wrong way. I that's, mean, that's why I'm you just, brought the axe, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, my, my, the part of the way I love my wife, like, I protect her, and, mm -hmm. and I want to, 
I want to provide for her. I want to lift her up. I want to um, make her feel safe. I w- you know, all these kinds of things. And so I was thinking, well, you know, that's, and it's like a, it's like a jealous love. It's a fierce love for my wife. And so, mm-hmm. you know, if, if I, if I kind of remove the romantic aspect of all of that between my wife and I, and I kind of think of Jesus loving me that way, like, you know, that's how fierce he cares for me. Then it kind of starts to make sense thinking about him that way. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for him. Well, um, for the sake of time, we're going to move on. Um, You guys have mentioned um, a lot of things that have to do with masculinity that were in any of these slides. Um, I mean, look at that chest hair, guys. It's It's amazing. Um, but, but these things are masculine too, right? I remember this one time, um, when I beat up Chuck Norris and it was, well, let's go ahead. Let's move on. 400,000 men that were interviewed said that masculinity predominantly has to do with character, self-determination, strength, and boldness, um, which is really, it's not the message that we're being fed from media, from movies, uh, from all the, the, the influences of the airwaves that bombard us. But if you, if you, if you get a man honest in a moment, um, he's not going to say that masculinity have to, has to do with these external traits or, you know, being able to you know, chop down a tree, he's, he's going to talk about um, internal fortitude. And I think that if we're really going to um, rediscover the heart of man, we need to get back to the purpose of man. See, man, uh, God created man for a purpose. Um, and the first is to be loved. And there's actually four purposes of man that you can find in, in Revelation. So I'm going to take us back to the beginning. But don't worry, we're only going to do one, one of the purposes of man tonight. And that is to commune. So what does that mean? It means to communicate with someone in a very personal or spiritual way. It's to have... Uh, deep connections through conversation, through experiences, enjoying uh, one another in those experiences, bearing one another's burdens and becoming friends with one another and with God. Uh, we, were, we were made first and foremost to be with him. Even Jesus came along and when he chose his, the, the 12, he, when, he, when he picked them, he didn't say, follow me because I'm going to make you a superhero. It actually says, um, I forgot the reference, but it, it says that he chose them so that he might be with them. That was the first reason, to commune. He chose them that he might be with them, and then he would send them out to do great exploits. And so, for me, that means that the, really our, our life boils down to two categories, intimacy and adventure, and, um, you know, the, the reason Jesus needed to be with them first is because he had, to, he had to tell them who they were, like a good big brother, like a good father. He perfectly represented the father, and he had to actually give them their identity. And in the process of giving them their identity, then they were able to go out and do great exploits. <clears throat> I honestly can't remember what video this is. Oh, yeah, I do. There it is. Can you bring the, those lights down again? And did that get muted again? It did get muted. That means that we're not supposed to watch it. We're going to skip it. <laughs> you can bring the lights back up. I don't know what's going on back there. It's not you. It's me. Um, okay, so the first purpose of man is to commune. And before the fall, that meant to enjoy friendship, to co-labor, 
uh, to enjoy connection with God and with others in the innermost zone, zones of our heart. And so we obviously know that um, the fall happened, which brought in fear or shame, fear, and control. And, um, and so our communing with God was, and with each other was greatly affected by the fall. And it turned into us, instead of um, respecting one another's boundaries and getting to know one another, it, it turned into emotional dependency, like codependency. It turned into enabling false responsibility, escape, rejection, bound emotions, fear of marriage, competition, manipulation, self-preservation, and fighting, when what we were made for to begin with was to experience deep friendships, to let, to let people into the innermost places of our heart and to walk through life together. Did you know that um, you and God, it's not good? You're like, what, Jeremy? What does that mean? Yeah, you, you and God alone is not good. God created Adam, put him in paradise, and he said, everything is good. That's good. Fish good. Plants good. Sky's good. Water's good. Everything's good, 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 good. And, and he created man, and, and man is made in God's image, perfect. And then God said, well, well really, they walked together in the cool of the day. God had, or Adam had exactly what you want. God in the flesh. God, like, open eye. It wasn't like a one-time visitation. It was like all the time, daily, walking in the, in the cool of the day in the garden. It, wouldn't that be awesome? God didn't think so. He said it's not good that man's alone. So you and God, not good. You and brothers and sisters and God is good. And so after the fall... Our, um, our ability to connect and communicate and have friendship was greatly affected. Can you turn those lights back down? I've got a video to demonstrate what it's like to try to have a friendship post-fall. You ready, Mason? Acoustic Guitar 2 is this channel. Yeah. Turn it up loud. Hey, uh, maybe Jess is right. Maybe we should talk this thing through. Absolutely, man. Yeah? Yeah. All right, I'm gonna put a clean shirt on. Great, man. What is that, man? I'm sorry, I, I put your couch in your freezer in your room, Schmidt. Yeah, I didn't want to get my pour on them. I gotta get in there, man, I'm a mess. I have to go to a networking event later. Scott Kahn is speaking. Oh, you listen to yourself. Use my conditioner? What? No. No, I can tell, man. What are you doing? Lotus Berry, relax. Lotus Berry, relax. I can smell it on you right now. It's fine, stop smelling my hair. You know how much that stuff costs? Okay, Schmidt, I didn't use your conditioner. Why does your hair look so baby soft? It's fine, Schmidt. I ran out of shampoo and I used your conditioner. Oh. We're talking about conditioner, right? You use it as shampoo? It's for moisture, Nick, not for cleaning. I can't believe I can't believe we're friends. Give me it back, man. Give you what back? Give me, give me it back. I'm Think about what you're doing. I'm right squeezing now. it out of your hair. You're squeezing it out yes, of my hair. I am. Stop squeezing it out of my hair! Okay, yeah. It's on. It's on. It's happening. Oh, it is? Yeah, it is happening. Oh, you want it? Okay. It's happening right now. These it are is. the first moments of what is happening right now. This is the beginning of what's happening. Right now! You wanna get your hands dirty? Yeah, yeah. man! <laughs> so that's what community and friendship often turns into post-fall. And so tonight, uh, we, I really just want, I wanted to cover just the first one tonight. The, the following weeks, we're going to talk about cultivating. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, taking dominion uh, is another purpose of man, to dominate and to multiply, which uh, Ashley and I have got that covered if you guys are uh, a little slow on the uptake there. <laughs> um, so what we're going to do at the, at the end of this four weeks is we're going to launch the men's ministry, and it's going to be uh, November 6th will be our first 
kind of get together. It'll be a big party, and it's going to be at John Eckert's house. And, um, and all the dudes are invited. In fact, you're, you're invited to invite other dudes that would, would really benefit from being part of a brotherhood where there'll be accountability, challenging each other to go higher and further, lots of funds, lots of fun and laughs and uh, events. We're planning on taking uh, a couple trips a year. Um, so anyway, that's it for tonight. Why don't we pray, because that's how you end church, right? Jesus, thank you so much for um, godly masculinity. And right now, I ask the Holy Spirit that you do a healing work in the hearts of all the men in our church. Father, all the places where we've been wounded by other people's words, opinions, and actions towards us, I ask God that you would undo the ramifications and side effects of all those moments that have hurt us and hurt our understanding of our identity as men, as warriors, as men who are destined for greatness, men who were made to commune with you, to cultivate relationship, to cultivate um, productivity, to, um, to take over and actually literally take over realms of society with your kingdom and show us, Lord, how we are to, uh, to multiply your kingdom and to reproduce um, discipleship and, um, and to raise godly children. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.